Hey, Crow, watch this. <coughs> Hi, Graham. Hi, Crow. Have we got a sponsor this week? Yes, we do have a sponsor this week. It's Recorded Future. Who are they? They are the real-time threat intel firm. They use machine learning technology. They're analysing the open and the dark web, finding out about the latest emerging threats. And what do they do with it? Well, what they do is they put all that information into their newsletter, their free Cyber Daily newsletter, and you can get that newsletter by signing up at recordedfuture.com slash intel. It's recordedfuture.com slash intel. Sounds great. Can't believe you think I sound like that. Smashing Security, Episode 20, Fishing for Donald Trump, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, Episode 20 for the 11th of May, 2017. My name's Graham Cluley, and I'm joined as ever by my buddy, Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol, how are you? I'm very well. How are you, Graham? I'm gorgeous, and we've got a special guest with us. It's Paul Duckling from Sophos. How's things, Duck? They are super, Graham. Carol, did... Did you just inhale helium there, or are you speaking in a slightly squeaky voice? I I hope I'm not speaking in a slightly squeaky voice. I think it's all normal. Do I sound no. odd? <laughs> no, <laughs> come no. on, bro. <laughs> nice, nice. Seriously, <laughs> do I sound more odd than normal? You mean even? <laughs> I think we should move on, shouldn't we? My topic for this episode is, well, you know, there's been a lot of this um, sort of election hacking and political hacking. We saw it in France just before the yeah. French election, of course, um, and information being published online. And most famously, perhaps, we saw the hack against the Democratic Party, Hillary Clinton's campaign um, yes. last year in America. And, um, well, it looks like some people in the media have got pretty fed up with hearing the old yada 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 from the Trump administration about how much better they are at cybersecurity than the Democrats and they wouldn't make those kind of mistakes. And mm -hmm. well, Gizmodo has taken matters into its own hands. And what they actually decided to do oh, no. was they sent emails to 15 bigwigs, including the White House spokesperson, Sean Spicer, cybersecurity czar Rudy Giuliani, Newt Gingrich, former FBI Chief James Comey. So they send an email, okay. Oh, yeah, but it's not just an email, Kroll. These are emails which pretend to come from those people's <gasps> colleagues, friends, loved ones. They basically... They fished them? Well, they sent them something which looked awfully like a fish. The emails pretended to be a Google Docs invite to view a spreadsheet. You know those emails you get? <gasps> yes! And it says, yeah, if you want to collaborate on this document or on this spreadsheet, you know, click here. Yeah. But if you clicked on the link, you were actually taken to a third-party website under Gizmodo's control, posing you know, fairly convincingly as a Google login page. I mean, I say fairly convincingly because at the bottom of the page, there was a little bit of small print saying, this page was built by Gizmodo to test your digital security acumen. And obviously, the journalists were waiting to see who would enter their credentials. Oh, my God. This, I think this is entrapment. Well, it's a bit weird, isn't it? I find it weird. Because, for example, Sophos actually sells a tool called Fish Threat, where you can do you know, that kind of phishing test 
inside your own organization. But the key thing to all of that is consent and intent and the fact that you're doing it in a way that gives you a chance to engage one-to-one with the people who made the mistake. They're all inside the organization. It's your network. It's your email. It's not going out to kind of make fun of the public or something like that, even if they are key figures like politicians. Right. So it's kind of seems to be Gating on thin ice, and, really, doesn't and it? And considering the, all the fake news that we're having to deal with and the fact that the press are kind of being, you know, dragged through the mud, the, I don't think it does a lot for the reputation of the media. Not really, does it? I mean, they weren't actually stealing credentials. So here's, here's the good news, first of all. It wasn't real phishing, although it took people to a fake Google login page. Gizmodo say we weren't collecting anything which anyone was going to type in. Um, we obviously weren't going to use that information to log in to someone's account without their permission either. They say about half of the recipients clicked on the link. So they sent it to around about 15 people. So I don't know, seven or eight people clicked on the link. Did they name and shame? And uh, I don't think they've actually named who it was who clicked on the link. However, what they have done is they've identified some of the people who queried the email. And like I said, those emails pretended to come from colleagues or friends or loved ones. So we saw, for instance, James Comey, who's until recently was the FBI chief. He wrote back believing that the email had come from someone he knew, an editor-in-chief on a uh, lawfare blog. Yeah. And he said, hey, I don't want to open this without care. What is it? Oh, cool. Clever. And similarly, Newt Gingrich thought it was an email from his wife, Callista, and he wrote back saying, what is this? Now, Gizmodo didn't continue the subterfuge. They didn't carry on the conversation, which, of course, a real fisher would have done. They would have replied and said, oh, hey, honey, you know, just uh, here's the shopping list. Don't you think it comes down to how you define phishing? Like, is phishing actually the collection of those credentials without notification or unauthorized, you know, without authorization? Or is it basically fooling someone into an an online activity? Well, I I would say it's stealing the credentials. But even if they didn't do that, like Duck says, I just don't think this is right. I mean, what a nuisance it would be if every Tom, Dick, Harry, Boris decided, oh, we are going to send these phony phishing emails to politicians or to people in business. You know, what What if we were all receiving 30 or 40 of these a day just because a journalist wanted to write a, a juicy story about what happened and who might have been silly enough to click on the link? I agree with Duck that if you're going to do something like this, it has to be done with the consent of the organisation itself. They should be testing themselves. There shouldn't be people trying to outwit people in this fashion. Well, it's like a, like a penetration or a hacking test, isn't it? You don't you don't go you don't just go and do that on somebody's site and go, oh look, I found a problem. Now I can make mm-hmm. hay while the sun shines, and then try and convince the world that oh well, I didn't have any evil intention. You get permission first. You get you get out of jail free card. You get the consent, and you know it's all done in a way that if you do break in and something goes wrong and a server crashes, somebody at the other on the inside actually knows that trouble might be ahead and all of that sort of stuff in other words in the same way that i guess if you're a a first responder like someone in the fire brigade or ambulance service you know you don't do an exercise by actually running someone down in the street and then going (laughs) and trying to save them and there's always an element that yes there is something synthetic about it it's also if if you're going to do a phishing test properly then and you want to actually see who gave away data and what did they give away then there are all sorts of security things that you have to get absolutely right because you're collecting data that if it's inside the organization maybe you're entitled to see 
Yeah. You know, mm. to, to show that, okay, if you get a phishing email and there's an obviously dodgy link in there and you click on it, that's a bad idea because you are at risk. There could be an exploit kit or there could be something bad about the very site you're yeah. going to. So just having a look to see what might happen is very much ill-advised. But if all you know is that the person clicked the link, then that means you can go, if you're inside the company, you can go and say to them, look, let me give you some counseling. Let me tell you why that's a bad idea. But it doesn't mean you actually fished them if no. what they get is a page and they then see this is obviously bogus the https certificate's yes. wrong or whatever and they bail out and it seems gizmodo can't measure that in what they're doing and, and in this particular case there's no way of measuring whether these politicians and so forth forwarded the email to their it support team and they were True. curious because there's been so much hacking going on and they in a safe environment clicked on the link to see what was at the other end it may have been part <laughs> yeah. of their investigation Maybe, or if they were actually collecting passwords, but then kind of not storing them forever and ever, it would be interesting to know how many of those fifteen people, uh, you know, what they put in as username and password. You know, how many yes. of them put in username? Yes. Do you think I'm that stupid? Password gets stuff. <laughs> you know. So it seems that the problem with this is interpreting the results as something that you can only do really internally when you do a test like this so yeah I, I i get the idea they're public figures right so let's see whether they're at risk of clicking on stuff but it doesn't really prove anything and therefore it kind of makes a story where the story is we did an experiment and the results are inconclusive so why did we bother seems to be what it adds <laughs> up to to me anyway yeah and i don't know i think there's a moral query over that over whether this is good i don't know if i like it yeah I, 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 it, f- it feels a little bit grubby to me. And it I feels think, grubby. Exactly. Yeah. That's a perfect word, Graham. Grubby. Thank you. Grubby. Duck, what have you got for us? You guys probably saw it. There's a well-known free open source a video converter tool called Handbrake, mm-hmm. uh, named after the uh, part that you get in a car that stops it rolling down hills when you park. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was actually written by the same guy who wrote a BitTorrent client, which is called Transmission, which Mm. also, of course, gets its name from a part in a car, so thus imagining the connection. And now last year, Transmission, their actual software distribution site got hacked not once but twice, uh, where crooks uploaded. So they didn't actually hack the source code or anything. They just uploaded a, a remix of the official distro that included malware. Now it happened again with Handbrake. And Mm. the windows people you're not allowed to laugh or gloat well you can but you know don't do it on a <laughs> webcam uh only, you can only do it unofficially they they chose to target mac users so windows users oh. who downloaded this bogus handbrake version they well there wasn't one the windows one was fine they just went after mac users and what they put in there was this or reasonably dangerous mac spyware called proton and it's designed to try and grab your keychain data, grab all your browsing history for all sorts of different browsers. So it knows about Firefox, Opera, Safari, huh. Chrome. And, and was then, this available from the from the official store? Oh yeah. Well, the crooks didn't manage to break right into the mothership. Apparently, what Handbrake <laughs> has, they've got their main server, and that's yep. where they store the source code and all the yep. development. And they have the main downloads, and they have a mirror site for load balancing and yes. you know 
online and whatnot. And the mirror site got hacked. So Uh the good news, if you can call it that, is during this four or five day window last week, if you did the Mac download, there's basically a 50-50 chance you'd get the bad one, (laughs) depending on whether you went to the primary or the secondary site. Um, but Gee. the problem is you're going to the real site. It's the genuine yeah. site. Yep. If you go and look at the source code, it's all untouched because the crooks have downloaded the source right. code and just yes. remixed it, added their secret source, uploaded it. You download the DMG file. You run the app as normal. And very quietly in the background, it just sets itself up with this whole spyware thing. It can also do take screenshots and set up a little yes. SSH connection that lets the crooks send commands. Isn't to- it interesting that they seem to have targeted the Mac version and not the Windows version. Um, you they probably ex- want to go after those smug little toilet wearing. Well, I, I, I wonder what the difference is. I mean, I, I'm thinking one difference is that if you have a Mac, you're less likely to be running an antivirus. You're less likely maybe to be paranoid about your downloads. Something like Handbrake, for instance, it recommends that you check the checksum of the file after downloading it yeah. to make sure that it hasn't been tampered with, although I'm sure hardly anybody bothers with that. But Maybe you're even less likely to bother with that if you're a Mac user. And maybe they, thought, maybe they thought they could spread it for longer. Maybe they just had the Mac malware handy and they thought, yep, mm. this is the one we want to do. But I'm with you. Maybe they figured if they do the Windows one, it'll probably get noticed sooner or it might get noticed mm. sooner. And then if they're actually after Mac users... Um, you know, I guess also that if you've got the malware and it knows all about things like keychain and you haven't done that before, maybe they figure it's a kind of ripe market for exploitation, yeah. as it were. little treasure trove they can get yeah. in. And I think you're right. You know, they're, they're less and less commonly, I guess, you guys would probably agree with this, that Mac users go, oh, no, we're invulnerable. And, you know, St. Steve Jobs says we'll be fine forever. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, but there are still some who go, no, 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 you'll be fine on the Mac. You'll be fine on the Mac. Yeah. The irony is, do you remember, uh, you know, a few years ago, everyone said, oh, you can never get malware on a Mac because it'll always pop up and ask you your password so you'll know, <laughs> as though no other app ever does that. <laughs> and the irony is, in this case, they actually want your root password or your, your admin <laughs> password because they need it to go and get all your keychain stuff. So they actually pop up a fake dialogue. good old-fashioned, oh, you need additional codecs, and you put your password in there. And, you know, for all that Mac users go, well, that should be suspicious. Yes, it should be. But irony of ironies, the other two, you know, video-related apps that do this are Java and Flash. Those Hmm. installers both, when you run them, they both require your password because they're installing for the whole system, not just for you. So you have to sort of forgive somebody for figuring it kind of looks okay, particularly when they know they actually did go to the genuine site. Mm -hmm. And and the thing with both Handbrake and Transmission is they're not available in the official Mac App Store, are they? You can I only wonder get them. Why. Well, for, for, for good reason, perhaps. Yeah, one's a torrenting app and the other one is for ripping DVDs. But, you know, you don't have that sort of walled garden, you know, extra security. I mean, this is really another advert for the App Store, isn't it? Getting your Mac apps there. Yeah, to me, that was a that was a, a small pity. I like the idea of a walled garden. I, I don't mind the idea of an App Store or Google Play or whatever. What I don't like is this increasing pressure or mm. your absolute requirement if you're an iOS that that's the way, the truth, and the life, and yep. from it thou shalt not veer. Mm. And that that's the only thing you could do, particularly when you think that with Apple's App Store, 
you ironically malware does get in there from admittedly only from time to time so they're bad at doing a perfect job of keeping malware out but the one thing they won't let in by design is a proper antivirus program because (laughs) it requires to do too much exactly so that freedom that that that, catch-22 has been going for what a decade at least yeah i guess just it it just that as i think what what I'm reading into what Graham says, sort of, it's kind of disasters like this kind of give the idea that no, 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 you should be locked down and you should be yeah. protected from yourself. That's yeah. that's the right way to do it. And yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that would be a shame. I I, yeah. I I think it would be a shame if that was the only place you could get your apps. Yeah. Uh, I think it's bad for developers. I think it can be bad for the users as well because it can take longer to get updates for some of your apps, for instance. Uh, it, and of course you want an antivirus and you want things which do stuff which maybe apple doesn't approve of for the app store the the irony in this case as i understand it is if you'd used handbrake's own check for updates option where it would just go and download the updates and install them then a those weren't hacked and b they they would have done some kind of download signature check so you would have been okay. But I can imagine a situation exactly the same where doing exactly that actually introduced a vulnerability or an exploit, you know, from from a company that is not, you know, vetted, for example, if you're working directly. You mean that the... the you, that the update makes you worse or that just... Yeah, the- there, are, there are places where you can get updates where the update, I mean, this has happened in companies I've worked for, right, where an update is pushed out and actually causes a problem. So... I, I don't know. There's there's a lot of app developers out there. There's a lot of people providing apps, and they're not all necessarily built the same, right? Some are much more secure than others, and some apps are better maintained. But I, I would imagine if these apps have some sort of auto-update facility or a, a way of checking for the latest update, because, of course, they're not coming through the app store. They're coming from the developer instead. Right. That probably is how most people are updating them. And so maybe the people who got infected by this particular incident are more likely to be new people trying out the software maybe for the first time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Because if you did the update, you'd be okay because you had to do the install during that period. But then I suppose, I'm sure we've all done this. I I, I do it sometimes. You think, okay, should I just press the update button in the software or should I just remove it, go and get the very latest version, throw away all my old configuration stuff and kind of make a fresh start? You know, like when you reinstall Windows and you think, I want to get out of all the, get rid of all those DLLs that got added that I've forgotten about from 1978 (laughs) and whatnot. So, you know, people might have just downloaded it anyway, or they could be showing it to a buddy. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So our our message to people about this is obviously be careful what you download. If you're, if, if there is an ability to check the checksums, do that. Makes sense. Obviously, run an antivirus as well, although this, I think, was a new variant, wasn't it, of this particular malware, uh, which maybe hadn't been seen before. Um, yeah, and if you if if software behaves in a way that you would not expect, for example, yes. you've in, you're running this app, you haven't needed to put in your admin password because you're not really installing it in Mac sense. You're just copying it to your application folder. You don't need a password for that. A self-contained app that only is a bundle that goes in your applications directory. It shouldn't need your password to install. Right, and therefore, when you see that pop up, you should be suspicious. For example, when you run your browser. Every time you try and download a file, it doesn't say mm-hmm. now put in your password before I'll do the download. Exactly. And it doesn't don't put in your password when it updates itself. So watch out for things that are 
outside the ordinary for an app no matter how well they're they're written and then if you're worried maybe go and get some objective independent check the other thing i know i know i know i say this all the time i know you guys do as well whenever you can 2fa two-step verification Mm -hmm. that's a great thing because then if the crooks get the passwords out of your keychain they're not any use on their own so it's a good reminder that maybe that secondary one-time password check that you can add to your email and your most of your accounts these days turn it on even if you think it's inconvenient it can it can help you a lot yep i agree moving on carol what have you got well i've got an interesting story so we all know that the u.s is right now very big on strengthening offensive and defensive cyber forces right all in the name for of national improving national security yeah so there's this great piece in ars technica which was talking about the dod cyber strategy which is to create a cyber mission force now this is a force that we made up of 133 cyber mission teams there's we'll, a lot of cyber there uh, isn't there wait wait there's more coming okay <laughs> 133 cyber mission teams who will deliver cyber effects to what? combat units. Now, I have no idea what cyber effects really means. That could be something like this. Bing! <laughs> Couldn't it? And like a sound effect. It could be. <laughs> you are doing it digitally, so yeah. Um, now, uh, so, so, so there's a big scramble to beef up this, you know, and get the force going, right? But yes. there's a problem there is a lack of skilled experts within the armed forces. Okay. Um, now, so so that means that the armed forces now have to look civvy side to get their talent, right? And you think, okay, that's not a big deal, but actually it's a little bit more complicated than you think initially. So number one, the armed forces tend to focus on a five to 10 year development cycle, right? So basically you come in at the bottom and you climb up the ranks. And pay is not necessarily on par with private sector. No, I wouldn't think so. Right. But the big one is boot camp, right? So not at most, if not all uniformed sporting armed forces go through boot camp. And when I read this, I was like, well, what exactly is boot camp, right? So it's six to 13 weeks of extremely intense military training. And a lot of polishing. (laughs) <laughs> and a lot of polishing. There's a lot of polishing. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Buckles, you know, boots, and- <laughs> floors, windows, ironing your bed. It 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 makes Never a man stops. slash woman out of you. I can tell you. <laughs> oh my god! You had to do this, did you, Doug? Well, iron my bed. You don't have to iron your bed. Um, no, but, but you, it can help but, you get crisp corners. But you did military service. I might have. Ah, oh, do you think it made you a better person? <laughs> okay, moving on. Moving I'm on. lost for words, which is very rare for me. Of course it made me a better person. I'm hardly going to admit if it didn't. Look, I learned a lot about 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 polish. About polish and Useful. making beds. Right? So we've got this six to thirteen weeks of extremely intense military training right. and polishing. Yes. And you learn things like water survivor skills, marksmanships, dealing with dangers of the battlefield, etc. Marksmanship means Firing assault weapons, right? Yes, I at, think so, yes. At, at, at probably at cardboard. Now, what I want to ask you guys is how many cyber kings and queens do you know that would relish the chance of joining the army as a cadet to go through boot camp and graduate uh, as with an entry-level position in pay as someone representing <laughs> the cyber... The cyber mission force. Where do I sign up, Crow? This sounds fantastic. <laughs> right? Hang on. But 
isn't 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 joining the armed services actually becoming increasingly popular some places like the uk where it is actually a decent career move because if you're in if you if you think you're into you don't mind the physical side and you don't mind that you know the, the polishing and the and the you know the the, the whole esprit de corps <laughs> thing then you you can get a degree uh you can end up without a the burden of a student loan and you know you get the kind of experience that they're trying to recruit nerds yeah they're trying to recruit people with lots of skill not just people oh, you coming mean, well they're trying to recruit people like you duck yeah, but you mean people who already have or, the skill set they don't have enough they but, don't have those skill sets internally yeah but well then you're not going to be the kind of person who goes through basic training are you ah uh, well now listen to what their idea is so what they're suggesting is that perhaps new cyber these new cyber warriors can skip boot camp and they can be uh, provided with official ranks and pay grades that match their current skill set right rather than having to come in at the armed forces at the ground level so for example the marine corps force is discussing the option of letting people with the desired skill set to join as uniformed marines but they don't necessarily possess all the skills that come that we all come to identify with being a marine you know the brave the physical the mentally strong ready for battle etc so on one's kind i kind of get it it makes it more attractive to hire people but on the other hand we kind of think that everyone who wears uniforms kind of have gone through that. And are they going to get the respect from their fellow officers? Doesn't it kind of just muddy the whole concept of... Maybe the rest of the army needs to be given a copy of Visual Basic <laughs> and told to go and knock up an application. Yes. But surely if you want to... For something like this, if you want to get it all started with people who are already 10, 15 years into their career... You know, in other words, yep. instead of training someone up in in the in the Marines or the Navy or the Air Force or whatever, and then them going, "Hey, I've you know, I've, I've done I've done my ten years, I've done my fifteen. Should I should I sign up for longer or should I should I jump ship slash plane and go into the private sector and maybe get more money? Uh, you they want people to go the other way. Why why can't they be civilian contractors? I have to say, Duck. Sometimes the U.S. government has had trouble with its contractors. There was this guy Eddie <laughs> Snowden. <laughs> They may, they, may want, <laughs> they may want to make sure that they're yeah, properly indoctrinated. Sure. And, of course, they, they've had problems, that similar types of issues with, with their full-time signed-up boot-camped people like yeah. Chelsea Manning. Yeah. I mean, that's always, that, that insider threat is always going to be a problem, isn't it? And, you know, so you could argue, well, in, in, the, in the Chelsea Manning case, how come no alarms went off when so much data was being copied? Yeah. You know, in, in the in the uh, in the Edward Snowden case, you know, how come how come he had all that power when he had a comparatively short service time, as far as I knew, etc. So those are all things. Those are all issues that face any organisation, and mm. whether you're an insider or a an outsider or a midway contractor, I think that those are problems that you have to solve anyway. Mm. I guess what seems surprising to me in all of this is this 133 units. Yeah. It, it seems like getting all the moving parts to talk to one another or interconnected is going to be really complicated. Oh, yeah. And that's actually been talked about. I was I was looking at the budget blueprint that they put out and it's all the money's going, right? It's all DOD and security. And there's going to be a ton of activity going there. 
And I mean, think about it for small, you know, there's going to be companies. There's also the private sector who are looking for experts as well, right? Mm. So there's a there's an absolute shortage. If anyone wants, you know, if anyone's young and they need job security, cybersecurity is the way to go. I don't think we're going to have any or shortage of roles. cybersecurity podcasts. I, I heard there's a great future for those. <laughs> yes, absolutely. 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 I wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Recorded Future, our threat intelligence company, and they really sort out the signal from the noise. There's so much information out there in so many places about what's going on in the world of cybersecurity. You need some experts to sift through it and find out what's important, what is trending and deliver that information to you in a timely fashion. Well, if you're interested in that, the latest information on the hackers, the exploits, the vulnerabilities, if you want that information delivered to you in a meaningful way every day, then sign up for the free Recorded Future Cyber Daily newsletter. All you have to do is go to recordedfuture.com slash intel. That's recordedfuture.com slash intel. And thanks very much to Recorded Future for sponsoring the show. You know, I think if they can sort out voting for Eurovision to work out in about an hour, they can work this out. <laughs> you know? And yes, Eurovision is on Saturday. Is Eurovision, <laughs> is that this thing where all the European countries form a yes, sort of and I highly recommend and have a standard currency everyone and laws? It. Really? Yes. This, it's, to, a, it's a wonderful, oh, wonderful Eurovision, thing. not the European community. <laughs> the European vision. Duck. No, I don't, I'm not. The, this is that thing that... that uh, so Terry used to do, right? Oh, oh. yeah, yeah. That oh, that one. So is Britain allowed to participate? I yeah, I think so. we. I think we yeah. are. Even after Brexit, I think we're allowed. Well, technically, to be it hasn't happened yet. Well, Australia were members last year. They represent. They were represented last year. They are hardly EU, but they were. You know, a welcome party. Guys, hate hate to interrupt you, but we've got a show to finish. Okay. Oh, yes. <laughs> Maybe we should just finish off. Um, well, that just about wraps it up. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you, Duck, for joining us. Thanks Thank for you. having me again. Thanks, Carol, as well. Um, if you like the show, think about maybe leaving us a review and giving us a high rating on iTunes. It really makes a difference. And, I love uh, that you made your voice all sad. Uh, yeah, I, it's, a, it's slightly desperate, isn't it? But <laughs> it would be nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Until next week. Subscribe, tune in, go to smashingsecurity.com, follow us on Twitter, all of the above. Have fun and be safe. Bye-bye. Toodaloo. Have we got a sponsor this week? Yes, okay. we do. No, it's no, no, I won't, I won't. That that voice doesn't fly. So, no. No? <laughs> no. No, no. That's too much like Roz. And that's just that's just not nice. So, no. That's like me going, hi, 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 everybody. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll make sure I use that laugh when I'm imitating you as well. Didn't know you did that.